As we move towards bringing children back to school, we must ask who was worst affected by the pandemic and why. Decoding Exclusion, an interview series by the Vithi Center for Legal Policy, aims to discuss the various facets of the problem of exclusion in education in India. With a range of experts in the field of law, policy and education, we examine evidence on new sites of exclusion and ways in which we can support children and their households as we bring them back to school. Welcome to Vidhi's Decoding Exclusion, an interview series where we break down the various facets of exclusion from mainstream education in India. I'm Nisha, and today's episode is led by my colleague Pooja Pandey, who works as a senior resident fellow in the Inclusive Education Vertical at the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy. In today's episode, we're in conversation with Ankit Vyas, who has been working actively in the area of education as an independent researcher. Ankit formerly worked with Oxfam India in the capacity of a program coordinator for the Inequality and Education team and has authored some important studies on school education, both during and prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. We all know that COVID-19 gave a huge push to the penetration of edtech in India, and with it arose several equity concerns. In this discussion, Pooja and Ankit delve deeper into the question of the role of the state in regulation of edtech with the view of protecting the rights of the child. Ankit highlights how even though the over-reliance on edtech seems to be subsiding post the pandemic, the focus on technology for education means that there's an urgent need to ensure that digital education is made accessible and equitable for all. He provides some important direction on how regulatory policy can play a role in ensuring just that. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. I am Pooja Pandey and I work as a senior resident fellow with the education team at Vidhi Center for Legal Policy. I take this opportunity to welcome all of you to this interview series that we call Decoding Exclusion. In today's conversation, we'll be talking to Ankit Vyas, who has been working very actively in the areas of education as an independent researcher. Uh, prior to this, Ankit was also working with Oxfam India in the capacity of a program coordinator for the inequality in education team. He has authored some very important studies on school education and hopefully in today's conversation, we'll get to know and hear more from Ankit. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to this conversation, Ankit, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Pooja, for having me here at this talk. Uh, look forward to speaking about some of the stuff and also about exclusion of children due to digital education. Great. Thanks, Ankit. Uh, to the rest of our viewers, before we dive into this very interesting and engaging conversation, I'd like to give you a little bit of a context about what this interview series is and why are we sure. doing this in the first place. So uh, the Decoding Exclusion series is emerging out of a recently released report, report in which we have documented the status of out-of-school children or also known as OOSC during COVID-19. In the said report, we have uh, synthesized evidence from a range of other research studies as well as from government sources to report and uh, discuss a little bit more about what exactly happened with out-of-school children during COVID-19. Now, in order to deepen whatever we have found in the research and also to continue the discourse on out-of-school children, we have come up with this interview series where we are going to conduct in-depth conversation with a selected group of researchers as well as practitioners uh, who have actively worked on education during COVID and even before that and who understand what exclusion in education might look like. Sure. 
hopefully uh, this interview will of course help us in giving some in person institutional and on ground insights of exclusion in education and also act as an important mechanism for advo advocating for the inclusion of not just out, out of school children but also other vulnerable categories of children in today's segment with ankit we'll be focusing a little more on the impacts of education technology digital education on overall equity and regulation in education and uh, without any further ado i'd like to start the conversation and propose like the first question to ankit if you are ready to go ankit sure okay so ankit you've been very actively engaged in creating evidence around the impacts of education for some of the most marginalized groups in india especially during covid-19 now we'd first and foremost we'd like to know a little bit more about the kind of research and advocacy work that you've been done that you've been doing during covid-19 over to you ankit sure uh, thanks for the question uh, pooja uh a couple of things that uh... i did as part of oxfam india during covid on education the first was a status report that we developed uh to understand the impact of school closure on education of children uh and this is something that we did in between uh june to july 2020 so it was the early days of the pandemic and uh sort of uh, the days of the lockdown in a sense uh where we sort of try to understand how many children are able to access education uh, what are the perspectives of teachers on uh, you know education delivery when schools are closed uh, and so on and based on this report uh, we drafted recommendations to the national human rights commission on uh, protecting rights of children during the pandemic uh, and this report even received a mention in the guidelines that were released by nhrc uh, we also did a follow up report uh, in october uh 2021 to sort of understand how uh, children are experiencing reopening of schools after over 500 days of closure so uh this report in a sense sort of capture uh you know what are the challenges that teachers are also facing are students able to catch up uh, what has been the impact of school closure uh and so on and in addition to the research that we did we also did a lot of advocacy with the government where we wrote to the education department we asked questions in parliament essentially uh sort of trying to highlight this issue of uh the challenges of marginalized children when schools were closed and uh they lacked access to education uh so in just sort of these are sort of a couple of things that we did around research and advocacy to highlight challenges of uh, marginalized children during covid great and i think it really sets the tone for our, for the conversation uh, just out of curiosity before we get into this entire sea of digital education and the impacts sure. in the existing research and advocacy work which you have just described what were some of the very starking findings with respect to possibly like discontinuity of education for children or even out of school children if you can possibly share that until sure so i think two things that stood out very clearly and i think not just in the oxfam report but i think in a lot of the other reports that uh, followed is the first one was clearly the issue of access uh, so our first study found that uh, 80% children were unable to access uh, digital education in any form uh, and these were children in government uh, schools and in rural areas uh, the second was the issue of delivery itself so 
one is of course the issue of access for children the access of devices or the uh, issue of access of uh, the internet and so on but the other issue because we had also interviewed teachers uh, and their perspective was that they were also struggling to deliver education digitally so even assuming that a child in rural uh, setup has access to a mobile phone and, and has access to an internet are teachers able to deliver uh, you know education uh, sort of effectively and i think in our survey about more than 80% teachers said that they were not confident with the medium they were not trained they were not oriented on how to actually deliver education uh, you know using digital modes and a lot of teachers also had similar issues of uh, not having the right device not having enough uh, data packs not having access to internet in certain areas uh, so these were two things that stood out very clearly uh, one of course being issue of access and the other being the issue of delivery uh, and what our second survey found was uh, which sort of looked at the impact of school closure found that uh, where teachers as well as children both of them reported that after schools reopen uh, you know after 500 days of closure uh, is that the children were struggling to catch up with what was being taught in class so two and three children reported that they were struggling to sort of understand or follow what was being uh, taught in their class and which is a clear indication of the impact of uh, the lack of access great so very nicely like when you started because i think these two studies give us two junctures of analysis one at the right at the onset of covid and second yeah. like after covid was getting over schools uh, schools are reopening children yeah. are going back of course and we'll definitely keep coming back sure. to these couple of important points that you mentioned ankit especially with respect to access as well as delivery so yeah. i think we'll be revisiting that again and again Sure. now in the next segment i think let's possibly take a step sure. back and i think this is more of a reflective question for somebody like you who's been working actively and i'm sure who's also been following what other people are doing and saying when it comes to digital education yeah. we know for sure that digital education and the over reliance of on digital education was a sudden event like right mm. at the onset of covid there was no option but to right. continue education through digital education Yep. now if we evaluate this entire discourse of what was happening in the past two years reflectively mm -hmm. uh, what in your opinion were some of the key research insights around digital education not just from your studies from but sure. also from other analysis and studies that were being conducted by different individuals and organizations so. sure so i think in addition to what i've uh, you know already said about access and delivery there was also the issue of pedagogy uh so while a lot of the studies tended to focus on the idea of you know children are not being able to access technology or teachers are struggling to deliver it i think uh one interesting study that uh, that azim premji had done uh for where teachers 90% teachers said that uh, meaningful assessment of children's learning was not possible uh you know when they were teaching through digital modes uh and i think this is one area which which probably didn't receive as much attention but i think this was a very important insight that uh sort of challenged the whole narrative which was still that point focused only on lack of access to say you know even if there is access is this a meaningful way to deliver education uh and for me this was one finding that uh, that really stood out was uh, even if one assumes that you know everyone has 
been given access is it uh the right medium to deliver something effectively uh and there are of course also issues of uh the content in terms of how representative is the content that you are using right like there were states where uh, uh digital education in many ways was standardized right so there was like a studio in the capital uh that was running these these programs that were going to children across the state now if you are a tribal child uh you know sitting in a rural hamlet and there is some teacher in the capital who is delivering content does it cater to your uh, you know the group that you come from is that represented is your language represented in the content uh, i think these were some issues that also uh, came up slightly but i think which need to be explored a, a lot more uh, in terms of the content of digital education itself absolutely and i think there has been very limited conversations on the content yeah. like as far as my understanding and my yeah, research yeah. goes which again naturally brings us to my next follow up question so of course these were some of the areas where especially access and delivery was one of the things where people especially access was something people were talking about again and again yeah, yeah. how people don't have there is not, not enough penetration of digital medium how are you going to like prioritize this and stuff yeah, yeah. but in your opinion and your experience including your advocacy work do you also think there were some of the research areas or even areas of concerns which were completely off the radar when it comes to digital education and even education technology during covid so i think like i was saying the issue of pedagogy is what was uh, missing quite a bit i think when people were uh, busy talking about access i think this is one area that sort of got missed out uh, and was also not as regulated so in cases where education was still being delivered i think there were very little uh, there's very little research or review done of the type of content that was actually being disseminated to children uh, because at that time i think everyone is just busy with this idea of we just need to get the content out there just make sure that children are learning in some form or the other and i think uh, this is an area that uh, that really got missed out and very little research got done on the type of content that was delivered uh, and also i think the effectiveness of that content is, is something that was not really measured much the apu study did look at teachers saying that uh, you know it's difficult to understand whether a child is learning or not so the issue of assessment is something that came out but uh, again we didn't really go back to children and ask them you know is this uh content working for you what is the duration of uh, digital content that works best for you uh, we didn't have conversations on timelines i mean we had uh you know five year old kids sitting through six hours of zoom calls without breaks i mean uh, uh that's what we had in the name of digital education so we had little research on attention spans uh you know effective use of dig- digital technology how do we mix it up with uh sort of checks for understanding i think that entire element of the how the process of learning happens i think got uh, missed out and i think that's something that we need to uh, sort of look at when sort of going into the future as more and more tech gets used uh, i think this is an area that we sort of need to look at and go beyond the issue of access absolutely and as and when you were pointing it it like occurred to me that age wise like content according to age something yeah. else was being given to pre primary yeah. something else was given to higher education there was absolutely no assessment on the type of content especially like grade variations to that content yeah. and possibly at the same time even the providers i mean 
for central government we still had some context of what was being taught but for other state boards and even what like a lot of private providers must be providing as yeah. a part of their entire approach nobody knows like it's an absolute yeah. black hole there yeah. okay uh, getting a little bit into the in depth of this entire conversation on you know like education technology and digital education uh, in your opinion ankit what are some of the key impacts of this use of edtech on marginalized children including maybe possibly some anticipatory long term effects which were of course happening and when when i say effect i mean both positive and negative effects in your opinion on edtech during the camp uh, during the pandemic and possibly even now what we can anticipate or what have we seen sure so i mean one has been when we talk about the pandemic i think uh, in the context of the pandemic edtech was something that in a sense replaced physical classes uh say it was not seen as something that is supplementary it was uh, sort of the only thing that was there in terms of uh, providing education uh and of course with the usr uh, reports and with oxfam's own report i think what we've seen is that uh learning has obviously gone down i mean the recent as a report shows that uh the percentage of children being able to read a grade 2 text uh has actually gone down to uh, a figure that was last recorded in 2012 so we've in that sense gone back 10 years because of the reliance only on tech uh that being said uh we obviously the pandemic was a scenario where tech was used stand alone one can of course also use tech uh sort of in as as a supplement to physical classes uh and i think that's the thing that we need to sort of understand is uh if tech is used as a supplement to physical classes there is sort of still a sense of it being helpful in some ways if there is if it's used in a structured manner if there is a pedagogical uh used to it but i think what is important to understand is that tech should not be seen as a replacement to physical classes during covid in some sense uh we didn't have a choice we were not prepared uh and in many ways that is why it happened but i think uh an important thing to understand is that uh, we should not be looking at sort of edtech as a way to replace physical classes and uh, an interesting finding that usr also shows is that private tuitions increased during the pandemic uh and that is clearly because parents also recognize the need to have physical classes to have like a actual person teaching and guiding their children instead of just this uh, uh one way interaction that tech was offering so i think one of the long term implications of this is if edtech becomes something that gradually you know replaces more and more physical interaction it will become a way for the richer people to buy physical classes in the form of private tuitions in the form of small group tuitions uh, so it will increasingly become a situation where people who can buy their way into education will get access and those who are unable to uh, sort of make that investment won't so i think uh, that is a, a scarier long term impact if there is an over reliance on technology uh it also reduces the autonomy of the teacher and it risks uh sort of leaving parents having to spend more money to get physical classes rather than it happening within a classroom setup 
yeah absolutely and uh, this entire thing of like rich benefiting from it because they will have access to it but even within the poor i think there are certain categories of children who will inevitably be left out or of are course. even now completely missing out of this conversation so yeah. ankit did you find this kind of a gradation between the poor itself when it comes to tech like education technology and uh, not yeah. just in terms of being able to afford it but other by design by default in accessibility of tech which were maybe experienced by different categories of vulnerable children differently if you have any insights sure. sure so of course i mean the issue is intersectionality i think is an important lens to look at when one is uh, you know looking at exclusion there is of course the urban rural divide in terms of access to technology access to internet itself uh, where of course children in more remote areas uh, simply didn't have network to access it and there were cases of them having to climb hills and get on top of trees and stuff like that but there is of course uh, you know there is exclusion and discrimination even within the household so there is clear gender imbalance of if there are three children and there's one phone and there are two boys and one girl there's clear data that you know the boys sort of get get the mobile and get to use that data and girls are excluded uh much more so there is of course a gender element to it there is a caste element to it clearly so uh dalit adivasis muslims obviously have been more uh marginalized they have less access and if you break that down into saying a dalit girl in a rural jharkhand versus an urban upper caste boy in delhi so obviously a massive uh gap there as well so there is that uh Uh, lens also that one needs to look at when talking about exclusion because it's uh, not as simple as saying uh, the rich and the poor it's uh, obviously the person like a dalit girl in a rural area will have the least least possibility of accessing uh, the device so even within the household there is limited bargaining power to to do that absolutely and if i may add my two cents to it because sure. we've also been engaging with this issue we found that especially for children with disability this entire mm. ambit of, of tech accessibility yeah. has been an issue for a very absolutely. very long time and during covid it just like absolutely uh, it it took a very ugly shape and very yeah. ugly form when it came to children with disability and i was also very interestingly having a conversation for somebody who works with children in need of care and protection or children in like shelter homes or even right. Right. juvenile justice systems tech hasn't even reached to them you know like yeah, there is yeah. absolutely no conversation on right, who is right. exactly providing these services to them okay uh, so when we talk about this entire tech and who is benefiting from it who is being given access to tech or not uh, yeah. a very important and obvious conversation also comes around the providers mm. of these edtech of course we know government to some extent has been provided has been providing different platforms different avenues for ensuring access to technology but a very dominant part of it hmm. has also cropped up in the form of private edtech right. providers or private you know digital education service yes. providers across right. india now how do you uh, envision this entire differences in approaches or orientation to education technology when it comes to state providers versus the private providers and uh, what do you think are some of the very uh, crucial challenges when it comes to edtech providing edtech provision by these like government and their private counterparts sure so i think the first uh, uh point is of course in terms of the objectives i mean for the government there isn't a uh, the objective is for 
to use it to get uh, sort of use the tech to uh, access as many children as it for for it to reach as many children as possible. So there is no uh, profit motive as such uh, that the government has when it's using technology. Uh, but with the new age ed tech providers, clearly the main objective is not education, learning, or access. It's about maximizing profits. Uh, and that's the fundamental, I think, difference between these two uh, providers. And in many ways, the risk of uh, the rise of the new ed tech providers. And I think we've been increasingly seeing a lot of these stories, right, of uh, uh, unethical business practices that are focused on maximizing profits. There have been multiple stories of uh, poor parents falling into debt uh, based on some to buy some of these products. A lot of these products are being uh, sort of sold using EMIs and there are now a lot of parents who are sort of, uh, sort of stuck with that uh, EMI based on false promises that have been made by these providers. Uh, and at this stage, again, I, I go back to the point of... Uh, uh, there being very little analysis of you know what what is the core product that these organizations these private tech providers are selling there is very little analysis of you know what is the quality of the content is the content representative of uh, of different groups in india what is the quality of the pedagogy i think these are uh, conversations we just haven't been able to get into also because uh, of the blatant profiteering that these companies have indulged in. Uh, there was a Oxfam policy brief on this in around uh, May of last year, which uh, sort of compared the average price of an edtech uh, product in the Indian market to the income of the lowest uh, wealth quintile, quintile in India. And it found that uh, uh, the average price is almost 80% of the per capita income of the lowest wealth quintile in India. So it's clearly not a product that everyone can afford, but increasingly it's a product that's been marketed to everyone. Uh, and it's being marketed in ways that are unethical, unregulated, uh, which have sort of focused on maximizing profits. And at the same time, I think we've uh, completely lack an understanding of how effective these products are in the first place how effective is their content absolutely and it's very uh, troubling like it's, it's a matter of trouble that it's becoming closer and closer to home actually because yeah. we were reading about this in the news for some time now i can count on my finger and tell a couple of people who have yeah. fallen right. into this trap or like yeah. it's coming closer to home yeah. that's one thing the other very important bit which is completely not being discussed is around privacy concerns like when hmm. you talk about tech it yeah. also has a lot of element of privacy of child rights privacy and even parents privacy yeah. And uh, the other problem, which I think speculatively is happening, that now that we have resumed like physical schools again, yep. we are con all of a sudden this conversation on edtech, especially private edtech, has taken a backseat. Hmm. They have continued to like their models are continuing. They are selling these things, but there is yep. absolutely no discourse on conversation on what exactly is happening at the moment, which automatically brings us to this entire need. Do you think there is a need to regulate this space in the first place? And when I say regulate, I don't just mean it for private players, yep. but I also mean it for edtech in general, including government players. What are your opinions on that, Ankit? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is a 
strong need to regulate and I think understand this space better. Uh, you know, I think the first step to sort of look at edtech would be to uh, sort of look at it the same way as you've looked at physical education, right? Like the same way that you've looked at content uh, that has been delivered in physical form. So if you look at textbooks, for example, uh, there has always been a process to review how the textbooks are uh, created, to review the content in the textbook. To uh, So there is a process where there is a committee that reviews the content. It goes through multiple rounds. So there is a process that has always been in place for physical uh, content. So I think there is a, for some reason, we sort of looked at edtech as being something very different. I think the first thing we need to look at is uh, sort of remove the separation when it comes to the content and say that the same standards that we have held for physical content in the form of textbooks, in the form of physical learning materials, we need to apply these standards to uh, edtech content as well. So essentially have like a review committee to look at the quality of the content, involve teachers, involve experts to look at the uh, content and actually give feedback on whether this is fit to go to children in the first place or not. Uh, so have a process of doing that uh, before this content is actually, you know, rolled out and it uh, disseminated widely. Uh, the second thing we need is we need a strong uh, grievance redressal mechanism in place. Uh, and this is something that we kind of sorely missed during the pandemic where uh, there were parents and children sort of complaining about falling into these debt traps uh, by these companies, but there wasn't really a, a clear mechanism to address, uh, you know, these complaints of parents. So I think uh, we definitely need that mechanism in place uh, sort of quickly where we can quickly, where parents can sort of complain uh, and we have someone sort of who can look at redressing these. On a long-term basis, I think we uh, we really need a holistic ed tech policy. Uh, and I think uh, it's important to sort of have a, a separate policy for ed tech because I think the challenges of regulating these providers are new uh, and they're also complex in nature. Their scope is also quite massive, uh, ranging from regulating the content to uh, regulating their prices to their business practices. So I think we uh, we need a more holistic policy that sort of looks at the overall ambit of uh, edtech and that uh, really seeks feedback from parents, teachers, educators, government bodies to develop this policy so that it looks at all of these elements uh, and is comprehensive in doing that. Thank you for this, Ankit. And I think you've raised a very important point that education technology or digital education is not something which is separate from education. It's an extension of education. Yeah, yeah. Because even in the grievance redressal bit, a lot of the times it takes a consumer angle where mm. it's looked at as a good, as a service. Yeah, and as, yeah. as long as we look at education technology as a service, which is driven by profit motives or other things, we'll never be able to look at it from a rights-based perspective, yeah. which education ideally should be looked at and you're absolutely right about this entire policy being a little dynamic because the scope is so new it's the first time that we're coming up with something like this so very interesting insights there 
now that we are talking about regulation, I'd like to also come to state's response when yeah. it comes to digital education. Of course, policy and you know all of these grievance redressal is one bit, and you have started it off very nicely by flagging those two issues. But uh, how do you think the state should prioritize in addressing the problems of marginalized children, dropout children, out of school children? specifically when it comes to addressing the digital device, which has already been created or which can possibly be further exact, like further widened in the coming yeah. period. So, yeah. I think uh, when it comes to out of school children, I think the first thing we need is for the government uh, and different states to actually accept that this is a problem that exists and go about doing a large scale mapping of out of school children. I think there have been multiple studies that have found that uh, children have dropped out, children are not coming to school regularly. Uh, and I think what we really need is for states to do a large scale mapping of, uh, you know, who these children are, what is the quantum of children who are not in school. Uh, and once they've identified that, really do a large scale on ground mobilization through. Uh, local government bodies through panchayat samitis, through volunteers on the ground to get these uh, children back into school. And uh, in doing that, it's also important to sort of make sure that their entry into school is unconditional as well. So not looking at, you know, things like, uh, do they have an Aadhaar card? Do they have, a, uh, you know, if they're migrants, do they have some sort of domicile from their home state? Uh, sort of bypassing all of that, those restrictions to unconditionally admit children into school. Uh, and when they are in school, uh, having some sort of a, a structured remedial curriculum to actually facilitate their re-entry. Uh, what Oxfam study found was that, you know, even when schools reopened, 500 days after closure, they were just continuing the syllabus as if nothing had happened. So it was uh, if kids had, let's say, they were in grade three at the start of the pandemic and they uh, joined back sort of near the end of grade four, uh, the teachers were directly teaching them grade four material without you know doing the stuff that they'd missed in between. So when we're trying to get out of school children into school, I think it's also important to have some sort of a transitionary curriculum to help them uh, sort of get back and to sort of recover the learning uh, loss of the learning deprivation that they went through. Uh, so, yeah, I think with, with regard to, I think getting out of school children back into school, I think it's important to in many ways, go back to the basics, which is essentially mapping children, making sure they're in school, making sure they're attending school regularly and supporting them in that uh, process through a structured curriculum. Absolutely. Again, like, and this is something, especially with respect to out of children, this has been an approach or like a suggestion long, long back when you yeah. want to reintegrate them into school, you have to start from scratch and these yeah. are the approaches that you have to take. Another follow-up question, which is not entirely related to this question, Ankit, but like you've been mentioning about teachers again and again in this yeah. entire conversation. So how do you think teachers can one, be a part of this entire reintegration process? And a separate question on this, let's assume that digital education is here to stay. It's here to be continued. How do we empower or capacitate teachers so that like they will be able to take it forward eventually pandemic or otherwise in using or deplo deploying these digital me mediums in education? 
So I think the first is to a lot of the initiatives that we saw during the pandemic that you know did well in keeping children uh, sort of connected to learning were in many ways initiatives that teachers took of their own accord. So they were very teacher-led initiatives. You know, like the story of the teacher in Jharkhand where uh, he drew he used the hearts of the community to as blackboards, and then children were sort of studying there. Or the stories of many teachers who used mohalla classes where children were taught in small groups, uh, which kept them connected. So, you know, at the core of a lot of these initiatives is essentially teachers' autonomy. So teachers getting the autonomy to do what they want and then using that autonomy to keep children connected to learning. And I think uh, this is something that this, this is a principle that should also be at the core of uh, anything to do with edtech. So when we talk about teaching and edtech, I think essentially the teacher's autonomy should be at the core of how we use edtech. It should not be something that, uh, you know, gets pushed from the top or it gets pushed by either a government or the providers. I think eventually we need to understand the teachers are experts in their own classrooms. They understand the context of their classroom best. Uh, we certainly can build capacity of teachers on how to use edtech. We need, we can tell them about the different ways, sort of in a sense, give them an offering of, you know, these are three or four ways in which you can use it. But at the end of the day, I think it has to be the teacher's choice in how to best use edtech in their classroom because each classroom is different. Each classroom's context is different. And how you use technology will depend a lot on that context. So I think at the end of the day, I think that's the most important uh, principle that I would stress is let the teachers decide, sure, build capacity, build infrastructure, uh, do all of those things, have the infrastructure in place. Of course, uh, you know, don't rely on the teacher to have to buy a laptop and have to set up a projector and you know, spend their own money and buy data packs, which has also happened. So first set up that infrastructure, uh, build their capacity, but at the end of the day, let them decide on uh, how they best feel technology should be used in their classroom. I 100% agree with you, Ankit, on this. And especially your entire insight on teacher autonomy and giving them the choice rather than imposing something on them and uh, during covid at least from whatever we have been like we did one of the studies in maharashtra with pre primary educators where it the children were very young to use those technologies yeah. themselves yeah. like it was the they were very very young to have used a computer or a phone independently yeah. it was entirely teacher driven like 100% teacher driven with a lot of support from the parents and the school's mm. mechanism so if yeah. you give them the autonomy but at the same time, provide them support through yeah. school infrastructure and even parental support. That I think makes a lot of difference. And Absolutely. again, this has, I think, also been an area of gap. We haven't emphasized enough on how much teachers have yeah. performed during the COVID and Absolutely. what are they generally uh, capable of. Okay, so I will come to like sort of the last question of this entire segment, Ankit, sure. and this is our favorite question. So mm. we ask this to everybody that we interview. So as a researcher, as well as a practitioner who is passionate about education, working on education, where do you think we have dropped the ball when it comes to research advocacy during COVID-19? And in your opinion, what are some of the things we should definitely prioritize going forward when it comes to inclusion of children in education? 
Sure. Yeah, I think this is a good question with many answers potentially because I think there's a lot that uh, we as researchers and practitioners sort of dropped the ball on. Uh, but I think a couple of things that uh, I can highlight is one is I think uh, we were so focused on on the tech aspect of things of, you know, of exclusion of children due to tech that we were unable to highlight the non-tech based initiatives as much as uh, we would have liked. So a lot of the uh, non-tech stuff that was happening in terms of either the Mohalla classes or the the small scale initiatives that teachers were doing, I think that is something that we should have highlighted better to sort of communicate the idea that, you know, even this is possible to counter the narrative of uh, only tech is the answer. So I think that uh, is one area where we could have done more research and work on because there was amazing work happening uh, at the ground level that individual teachers were doing. And I think these stories deserve to be uh, captured and told more. Uh, the other thing I think is we uh, should also have captured stories of individual children more. Uh, I think a lot of the data uh, focused on children as uh, in terms of numbers rather than, you know, as, as individuals. Uh, a lot of the research basically read, you know, 80% children are able to access tech, 70% children are not in school. So it became like this, uh, you know, homogenized mass rather than individual uh, children. And I think that is something that we needed, especially to highlight uh, the lens of intersectionality, to highlight how different children of different groups were struggling and uh, how they were being excluded. So I think that is something that we uh, should have done better and that's something that we should uh, aim to do better going forward. So while we have we continue to have uh, specific data, we should also capture stories of uh, individual children. And I think the last thing is, uh, it's important to, I guess, go back to the basics of, you know, how uh, uh, sort of India has managed to get children into school in the first place. So focusing on mobilization of volunteers, focusing on small scale, village level, local uh, level activities to keep children in school, uh, to keep children interested, to keep doing activities, uh, you know, to do like after school camps or programs in the community, just do a lot of mobilization on the ground and give autonomy to teachers, to uh, to the local uh, uh, governance, to the panchayats to uh, lead some of those rather than, uh, you know, having a top down approach where a lot of this is based on state guidelines, just giving much more autonomy to people on the ground. Well, that's some some really interesting insights and some very important questions. And especially this entire idea of highlighting more and more uh, good practices, not just tech, but even non-tech. And yeah. you're absolutely right, because they haven't been featured enough like in this entire conversation. And also your point about a decentralized approach, because in case of how to school children, historically, this the approach of like, community driving that initiative yeah. or volunteers driving that Absolutely. initiative has done wonders. And just to sort of end with this, uh, the research approach, entire research approach, because I think during COVID, it became about rapid assessments mm. and making sense of the right. issue right. rather than highlighting 
good case studies or individual stories. So I think yeah. now is also a good time for us as practitioners slash researchers to reflect a little back, a little bit more on what yeah. exactly was happening and how can we go forward from here. Okay, That's any true. final insights from you, Ankit? Because like I hope I got you uh, <laughs> passionate and started on this conversation. Any final insights that you might have for our viewers or the audience that we have here? Uh, so it's good that we are sort of having a conversation on these issues, especially on the issue of uh, edtech, on the regulation of edtech. And I think we need to continue having these conversations. And like I said, I think we need to understand a little bit more, sort of get into a bit more nuance and the specifics of this. So I think uh, so far, a lot of the discussion has been around access to technology or has been around, you know, exclusion of children. I think now that like you said, technology is used to stay. I think we need to get, dig a little bit deeper into who is tech for, what is the content like, is the content effective, uh, is it representative? So I think get into these uh, more nuanced questions of uh, what tech is. So essentially opening that black box of, you know, tech being this one big homogenized thing, sort of breaking that down into saying, you know, uh, what are the different elements of edtech? What are the different products? What do these products deliver? What is the quality of the content? And uh, also, I think getting children into the conversation and asking them, you know, what do you like about this? What do you not like about this? Is this effective for you? Uh, what would you like more of? So I think uh, uh, getting that is also important. A lot of these conversations have been driven by uh, sort of so-called experts, or educators, but I think uh, it's important to also get children's perspectives on this. Perfect. So we need to pass the baton to the actual beneficiaries of these yeah. services, which is the children, and even to some extent, even the teachers, as you Absolutely. mentioned before, as yeah. well. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Ankit. Of course, this is an unending conversation, especially yeah. when it comes mm -hmm. to edtech and digital technology. We also know that NEP has put a lot of push on this entire digital education ambit, and we'll yeah. have to definitely wait and watch to see yeah. what this actually pans out to. For the viewers who are listening slash like watching us, if you have any follow-up questions, please feel free to uh, let us know either in the comments section or like reach directly to us. We'll be happy to answer those questions. If you have any specific questions for Ankit, we'll be happy to direct those questions to Ankit on behalf of you. If you also have suggestions for any other ideas on edtech, on digital education, feel free to reach out to us. And with this, I'd like to thank Ankit once again for this very insightful conversation and give us, giving us the time. I'm sure this is first of many other conversations that we are going to have with you. Okay, thanks a lot for being with us today. Thank you. This podcast is produced by the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy under the Kota Karma Vidhi Inclusive Education Program. The Kota Karma Vidhi Inclusive Education Program is a CSR initiative by Kotak Mahindra Bank Limited. This podcast is based and born from Vidhi's report, Clearing the Air, a synthesized mapping of out-of-school children during COVID-19 in India. This report is produced under funding received from Voltas Limited as part of their CSR initiative. Video design and editing by Asad Ali, illustration by Hitesh Sonar.